The following is a recording of the Just Desserts Mystery Fiction Discussion Group, which took place on April 26, 2018, in which group members discussed the entire body of work of thriller writer Ruth Rendell. This meeting took place at the South Branch Library in an open public area, and therefore there will occasionally be background noises of traffic and other customers. All right, the microphone is live, so we will begin. Uh, thank you for attending tonight's April 2018 uh, meeting of the Just Desserts Mystery Fiction Discussion Group. And our theme tonight is the entire... <laughs> no, that's not somebody being killed in the background. So, um, our theme tonight is the entire body of works of uh, British uh, mystery writer Ruth Rendell. Uh, and I have a little bit of background, biographical and publishing background on her before we actually begin passing the microphone to get everybody's comments. So bear with me for a few moments while I give you a little uh, information about Ruth. Uh, Ruth was born on February 17th, 1930 uh, in uh, South Woodford, Essex in Greater London. Her parents were both um, educators. Um, they also moved occasionally, um, and her mother was not in the best of health. And so in, in her youth, she had a good relationship with her father, but her uh, mother uh, basically turned the caretaking of, of Ruth herself over to a housekeeper. Um, and both her mother and the housekeeper were Swedish. Uh, her mother then died when she was relatively young, and basically the Swedish housekeeper essentially became her de facto mother um, in terms of anything associated with uh, uh, mentoring and that kind of thing. Also, because both the literal mother and the Swedish housekeeper um, um, came from Sweden, the family spent a lot of time, especially at the holidays, traveling back and forth to Sweden and Denmark, and so she became multilingual very quickly as a, as a child. Um, nonetheless, in one of the um, interviews and biographies I found out about her online, she talks about feeling very much like an outsider because she did not have that mother to connect with, and her father was, as an educator, extremely busy, so she had a good relationship, but she didn't see him very frequently. Um, ultimately, when she got out of school, which she left early, uh, she basically decided on a career path that was anything other than being a teacher. She just did not want to be a teacher. And so the first thing that she did was, uh, well, she did several different things, but she sort of settled in around the age of 20 into a reporting job for her local newspaper. And she was doing very well. She was getting claim. Her bosses really liked her. And then she made a real huge mistake. In a rush, she decided to skip going to a, uh, a dinner associated with uh, the local tennis community um, where she was supposed to report on their, the leader of the organization who was going to be giving a speech that evening. Instead, she had the full text of the speech that had been pre-prepared already, and so she wrote the article as if she had been there, um, uh, basically reporting on what he said, and the newspaper published it. And then they discovered... He died during the middle of his speech, and of course she wasn't there to see that, and there was nothing in the article in the newspaper to report on that. So before they could fire her, she quit the job because she realized this was a really, really bad thing. Um, so that was the most interesting thing I learned about Ruth Rendell. Um, anyway, uh, it was not long after that that she met um, her um, soon-to-be husband, Don. They got married, and for the first several years um, of their marriage, she was basically a... 
stay-at-home mom to their kids and a homemaker, which she didn't really enjoy that much, but she did want to have uh, input into the, the kids' raising. Um, so she did that, and while she was there home, at home raising kids, she started to do writing. She wrote six books which did not sell before she finally sold From Dune with Death, her first Inspector Wexford novel. Um, in 1964, that was published. She was paid a whopping total of 75 pounds for that. Um, that's it. And then uh, nobody wanted to talk to her, no, no newspapers, nobody wanted to interview her about that. She even had two more books published before anybody started snooping around and asking, who is this person? Um, should we know more about her? Um, and she really ended up sort of in an adversarial role with uh, interviewers. She did not like being interviewed. Um, and if I can find the article that I made a copy of here, I, I really enjoyed one particular thing. Um, let me see. If I can find this, because I don't want to misquote her. Well, I'm going to have to misquote her. Um, <laughs> she was, she's frequently asked, where do you come up with her, your ideas? And her answer was, oh, they just come to me. I mean, that, that's as specific as she would get. Um, she said, uh, she basically would be asked frequently, what, what do you most enjoy about this writing process? And she, she says, I enjoy typing. <laughs> that, that was her answer. Uh, she, she did not do research. 60 plus novels and she did not do research. All of this stuff she made up herself. Now, she was a studier of human nature. She did not like driving. She liked walking everywhere. In fact, she became an expert on London parks because she walked everywhere in London and she observed people and she was able to eavesdrop on them while she was sitting in parks and walking down streets and stuff and she would just steal things from people willy-nilly ideas comments that she overheard as she was passing a couple talking uh, all these things would end up being or moved into her upcoming um, fiction but all of the, the the specific technical details of things she did not research any of that she as she said repeatedly in interview after interview I made it all up so if it seems realistic, if it seems on spot um, from people who know things about this kind of stuff, be aware, she was just canny and she knew what she was talking about without actually going to the library and doing any kind of research. She did say in, in later years she hired a researcher to do research for her, but she almost never then used it. Um, she basically just trusted her own instinct and her own um, um, trends towards what she thought would be more accurate. She was also very socially conscious uh, throughout her career of writing. She did not just write tidy little uh, amateur detective um, stories. She, she wanted to explore issues and she wanted to stay current. So as times progressed and she moved from the 1960s to the 70s, 80s, 90s, and 2000s, she tried to stay on top of trends. She tried to stay ahead of trends and be able to include things uh, dealing with child abuse and, and uh, sexual relationships and things like that in her novels that were way beyond what anybody else was doing at the time. I did highlight a couple of quotes, so let me see if I can find them and I'll read them off. Um, let's see. She and P.D. James um, are sort of considered the, they both were referred to as the queen of mysteries. And she said she absolutely hated that. She, she just bristled any time somebody called her that. Um, so P.D. James, not so much. I think she actually enjoyed it. Uh, she, uh, Rendell was the winner of four Edgar Awards from the Mystery Writers of America, and at least four um, awards from uh, um, British um, uh, 
a, um, mystery organizations as well. Uh, she became uh, basically uh, got the British mystery uh, grandmaster, essentially the Golden um, um, Dagger um, Award. Um, she has had over 60 novels published, and now let me see. Uh, here are some quotes from other authors upon her passing. Val McDermott, um, a Scottish writer, says, Rendell was unique. No one can equal her range or her accomplishment. No one has earned more respect from her fellow practitioners. The broad church that is current British crime writing owes, more to, um, owes much to a writer who over a 50-year career consistently demonstrated that the genre can continually reinvent itself, moving in new directions, assuming new concerns, and exploring new ways of telling stories, all doing it in a smoothly satisfying prose style. Um, uh, the author Ian Rankin uh, was mentioned in the same article. Ian Rankin said he viewed Rendell as probably the greatest living crime writer at the time before she passed away, added that if crime fiction is currently in good health, it's practitioners striving to better the craft and keep it fresh, vibrant and relevant. This is in no small, small part thanks to Ruth Rendell. Uh, and the crime writer Simon Brett said Rendell's output was astonishing and he was amazed by her transition into Barbara Vine, um, a pseudonym that she used for some of the things where she went deeper into the psychotic minds of some of her killers. Uh, her, her stuff under her own name, she tended to focus a little bit more on the sleuths, but in, in the Barbara Vine ones she ends up uh, del delving much more into the psychology of the killers themselves. Um, when asked uh, how she came up with ideas, she says, I just wait until I've got a character and I think, why would anybody do what that person has done? What is it in their background? What is it that makes the, in, in their lives that makes them do things like that? Uh, when asked if she pl ever planned to retire, she said, absolutely not. I couldn't do that. It's what I do and I love doing it. It's absolutely essential to my life. I don't know what I would do if I didn't write. I'll do it until I die. <laughs> and she did. Uh, in her career, she wrote 24 um, in the police procedural series where she even then, even though it was your standard police procedural, she tended to push the boundaries and explore things that maybe weren't being done in other police procedurals, uh, starring Inspector Wexford, uh, who went from just a detective to a chief inspector, essentially. And in fact, uh, in the final two books of the Wexford series, he has retired from police work and is being basically called back um, by something that just he can't drop, essentially. Uh, then she also wrote um, over 25 individual standalone novels under her own name, uh, um, several short story collections, um, and the short stories tended to all be published here in U.S. magazines like Alfred Hitchcock and Ellery Queen Mystery Magazines because the British publishing industry was not doing short fiction, and she really felt like she wanted to write these short stories, and the only place to publish them was across the sea. So um, all these collections that then came out in both the UK and the US, uh, sometimes that was the first time many of those British fans had an opportunity to see her short fiction. Uh, she also then, um, partway into her career, not actually very long into her career, uh, invented uh, the name Barbara Vine, which was a combination of her maiden name um, and her gr grandmother's name. Um, and she wrote uh, close to 20 novels under that name as well. So uh, if you did not sample of Barbara Vine, uh, be aware, if you were not aware of it already, that there's plenty more where these came from, and uh, the libraries, as um, we had a handout at the end of last month so the people would know which ones the library owned so they could track them down, I rechecked on that um, um, before putting uh, tonight's handout online, um, and literally out of the 60-some novels, the library really only has about three or four of them that we don't have in some format. Now, some of those are only in e-book and e-audio formats, not print 
formats, but at least they're available in some capacity for people to use here at the library. So with that, keeping in mind we need to try to wrap this within about the next 20 to 25 minutes so that we have time for our general round robin. And if we don't, we will truncate the general round robin because tonight's Rendell discussion is our primary focus. Uh, as we pass the microphone around, as um, instructed previously, please say your first name which Rendell books you've read, uh, at least for tonight's meeting. Some of you may have read many of them in the past, but talk about what you read for tonight. And just a little background on that um, novel, what, whether you liked it or not, and whether you would read more Rendell based on your experiences for tonight's meetings. I'm Rayma, and I admit to being a Ruth Rendell fan, a real diehard fan. Um, I've read all of the novels and most of the short stories, and I'm not a short story person, so it has to be somebody I really like as a writer before I will even touch a short story. I will say, um, not too long ago, I read a comment um, that had been attributed to P.D. James a number of years ago, and I had noticed that whenever you read P.D. James, every now and then one of her characters was reading a Ruth Rendell, and this was her tribute to Ruth Rendell, who she thought was a much better writer than she was which I thought was kind of interesting. Anyway, uh, the novel I chose tonight was A Judgment in Stone, and this one is quite different from most of her novels. You start out right away knowing what's happened and who did it. Uh, the fun is, or fun, uh, I guess the intrigue is in watching how this unfolds as a story. Uh, basically, this involves um, a rather unsavory heroine by the name of Eunice Parchman, uh, a lady of a certain age who has lost her parents and decides she's going to look for a job. And she finds an ad um, in a newspaper that uh, somebody has pointed out to her. The problem is uh, Edith, or I'm sorry, Eunice, is um, illiterate. She cannot read. She cannot write. And somebody points this out to her because uh, Eunice has had a a really thriving business as a blackmailer in her local community. She is one of these people who notices things and then somehow just hits the nail on the head and starts blackmailing people. Well, one of her victims decided, gee whiz, let's see if we can get her out of our hair. So she uh, spots this ad, tells Eunice about it, and says, I'll write you a, a letter and I'll pretend to be uh, any reference you want me to be and you can go work for this rich family and really have a great life. And uh, Eunice thinks, well, okay, that sounds like a good deal. Not thinking at the time that she's going to be losing the income from this person that she's blackmailing who is helping her. Anyway, she does go to work for the Coverdale family, and they're kind of a, a mixed bag. They're a blended family. Uh, the father has recently divorced and uh, married a lovely younger woman who has a son who, from, you know, from all intents and purposes, I guess you'd just describe as a nerd. He's socially awkward, kind of distant, um, not terribly good-looking, doesn't relate well to people. Uh, and you would think that he'd probably be the one who would be the perpetrator, but that's not the case. Um, and then there's a daughter and a couple of other children that the husband has, and um, anyway, they, they all get along. They're very civilized with each other. But Eunice, Eunice comes into this household, and 
just really from the very beginning kind of sets people on edge. They can't quite put a finger on it. And then the daughter uh, one day discovers that Eunice cannot read, and that is kind of the uh, activity that triggers everything. Eunice also has a friend that she made in the village who is a religious zealot and just borderline nuts. Well, not even borderline, actually. Uh, but the two of them together end up uh, killing this family, and it, it, it is just probably one of the most horrifying tales I've ever read, and you know exactly what's going to happen. But all of this because this woman cannot read, and as a librarian, I'm telling you, we need to be promoting literacy, <laughs> so this will not happen. <laughs> okay. I'm Charlotte. And unlike Rama, I am not a Ruth Rendell fan, so I went for the short story. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, one of the collections I went with is Piranha to Scurvy and Other Stories. And there are nine short stories in here. Some are 40 pages, some are 10 pages. But I went with the short stories because I thought if I don't like the book and the characters and what's going on, I have to slog my way through this book. <laughs> but if I got short stories, it's okay, I don't like this one, maybe the next one's better, and so forth. And actually, they were all well-written. They caught my attention. They were more like Twilight Zone stories. Yes. Yeah. And which was interesting. It was not what I was expecting. They all had a mystery to it, but yeah, more like Twilight Zone. And the first story is Piranha to Scurvy, and I thought, what in the world is that? And it was really interesting when you reached a point in the book that explains what this is, and what involvement it has and what went on in, in the story. Um, I did enjoy this, but I won't read Rendell again. She just didn't grab me, and like, even though these were well-written and I like Twilight Zone, it just really didn't do enough to, for me to read another one. Okay. I'm Joan, and I'm not a Ruth Rendell fan either. I read one of her standalones and it was so dark and so depressing. So I read uh, Inspector Wexford, or I started it. And it's the beginning of his career. It goes clear back to his first case. And uh, I don't think I'll finish it. I don't care. Oh, The Monster in the Box. I'm Jody, and I'm reading The Girl Next Door, and I'm still at the very beginning of it. I'm enjoying it, but we'll be finishing it later this week. I'm Barb, and I read Harm Done, um, which is an Inspector Wexford, for my first time reading her book. I took me three weeks to read this. I usually read something in a couple, three days. This took three weeks to plow through. <laughs> she could have left the first 150 pages off, and the second half wasn't bad, but the first half was terrible. And I thought she had the most incompetent police force I've ever heard of in my life, but that's probably going back that she wouldn't do any research, you know. You know. And I thought these guys were really stupid. I mean, they didn't do what I would think you know, being a mystery and a TV fan would do. And I just thought, no wonder you guys can't solve anything. I mean, 
So I won't be reading anything further of hers. Well, my name is Jenny, and I really like this author, and I really like the book. I read Not in the Flesh. Um, it was interesting. It dealt with the issue of how many missing people there are, and it seemed like they had really interesting characters, and, and they did a really good job resolving the mystery. So I guess maybe a different book or a different perspective. But I also, she reminded me tremendously of Carolyn Graham, um, I've been watching the Midsummer Murders DVDs, and she has a certain style. And in fact, I think they were so similar, I'd be hard pressed to tell them apart. And I quite quite enjoy that. What do you, do you call those police procedurals, or what do you? Yes, British police procedurals. I should also point out that uh, the Inspector Wexford uh, novels were adapted into a four-year television series. Actually, longer than four years. They did 48 storylines uh, from uh, Ruth Rendell's uh, works. Um, and she absolutely adored the guy that ended up playing Wexford, saying that he did more things with that character than she had ever imagined that she could have done. Um, and we, the library does have them in four DVD box sets if you're interested in, in viewing the Inspector Wexford um, on top of um, reading them. So Is that the title of them, Inspector Wexford? They're actually just simply called the Ruth Rendell Mysteries. Ruth Rendell Mysteries. Four seasons, four boxes. So Thank you. Tomorrow morning. <laughs> No, she, she said uh, that a lot of the feature film adaptations of some of her individual standalone novels she did not like. In fact, um, she, in some of the biographies online, um, she specified there were really only like one or two that she could even tolerate um, watching. But the series, the TV series, she really enjoyed um, and she just absolutely adored the performance of the guy that played Wexford. Because I was holding off on watching them. Series, series, yes, TV, or movies, no. Uh, I'm Sharon, and I read her very first Wexford book from Dune with Death. I didn't realize when I got it on my Kindle that it was originally published in 1964, which maybe explains a lot, because uh, it said it was re-released, I think, in 2012. Yeah. Um, I didn't like the book. Um, none of the characters did I find appealing in any way. I felt no empathy for any of them. And it was very chauvinistic, which probably is because it was written in 1964. When I'm going to read an author, I like to read the first book in the series, so that's why I went with this one. But I, based on that novel, I probably would not read another one unless I got a really glowing recommendation. My name is Cindy, and I have never read any of her books before, so I picked up one, and I'm not sure if I'm saying this right, but I pronounced it Simisola, S-I-M-I-S-O-L-A. And um, I read this book, and about 100 pages into the book, I stopped and thought, I don't know anything about this guy. Still, after 100 pages, I have no idea if he's tall, if he's short, if he's dark-haired, you know, or anything yeah. about him, and I couldn't understand why. I thought, well, maybe, maybe it's all been gone over, and she expects everybody to know who he is, or what he looks like, or what his background is, what his story is, and I didn't get anything like that out of the book. Interestingly enough, in interviews, people had asked her, why don't you get more physical description of your main character? Um, and she said that she just has it in her imagination, but she wants 
it to be an everyman that anybody can identify and, and make be their own detective, essentially. So I know you said that she had, she introduced um, social <coughs> consciousness into some of her books, which a lot of authors weren't doing at the time or haven't done. And in this book especially, she touched on racism. Um, and so I found that interesting, what his views were on racism at the time and how that fit into the whole mystery overall. And then also the, um, finally, the uh, the title of the book was bothering me because it's like, like, okay, what is this? What does this yep. mean? So I finally went and looked it up, and it was Yoruba, a Yoruba word for wealth at rest. So that's all I'm going to tell you about that. But it does come into play. The name does come into play in the book. But um, you know, I just, I, I also texted Sharon, my friend, and said, we need to talk about this before we go to the book club because. <laughs> Is it just me? Is there something, you know, I'm just not liking this book, and I wanted to like it, but... Um, it, it is exceptionally rare that we have uniform agreement. <laughs> yeah. 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 Never and this one, Never you know, happened. I just wasn't interested in the characters that much. The plot, a little bit, the, the overall mood, nothing, it didn't really do anything for me, so I don't think I would read another book. My name is Susan, and the book I read was The Secret House of Death and it was a 1968 book. Um, and what I found, um, I didn't mind the snow slowness or the more Agatha Christie village life slower uh, pace of things so much, but um, I was surprised in thinking about it afterwards that the double twists at the end uh, weren't being done so routinely 50 years ago. And now we're kind of used to it and expect it, and a lot of fast movement with our characters. Uh, but I was surprised when I stopped to figure out how old it was. I also like to start with the first, and the 68 one uh, was not her first one, but it was as far back as I could find to go that was available. But yes, I will read more of hers. Um, and um, I guess that's all. This is Carolyn, and I read, no, I'm listening to Dark Corners, and I haven't finished listening. I'm on the last disc. Um, there's a lot I could say about this. I'm going to just read a little bit of the blurb. When his father dies, Carl Martin inherits a house in an increasingly rich and trendy London neighborhood. Cash poor, uh, Carl, he's an, he's an author, writer, rents the upstairs room and kitchen to the first person he interviews, Dermot McKinnon. That is mistake number one. Mistake number two is keeping the bizarre collection of homeopathic cures that his father left in the medicine cabinet, including a stash of controversial diet pills. Mistake number three is selling 50 of those diet pills to a friend who is then found dead. Dermot seizes a nefarious opportunity to blackmail Carl, refusing to pay rent and creepingly invading Carl's space. Ingeniously weaving together two storylines, Rendell describes one man's spiral into darkness and murder as he falls victim to a diabolical foe he cannot escape. And then it says, this is masterful storytelling that gets under your skin. Brilliant psychological suspense infused with Rendell's distinct blend of wry humor, acute observation, deep humanity. Um, I take issue with that. All three of those. <laughs> um, it's my first Rendell. 
I can't stand the main character. I can't stand a couple of the other wimpy characters. You start the book knowing who done it. So where do you go from there? And I, the only thing I thought, and it's not going to happen because I'm close enough to the end, the only thing I thought is if somebody had gotten into his mind and was causing all these, all this diabolical fall that he's having, um, and actually turned out to be the murderer, that probably would satisfy me, but that's not going to happen. So I don't, and this was a standalone, so I probably won't read anymore unless somebody can convince me they've read the most outstanding book they've ever read in their life. And just so you know, that was her final book as well. So. Oh. <laughs> was, Published posthumously. It was 2015. I'm Don, and I read a chapter and one page of the dumbest book, 13 Steps Down. The first chapter had nothing to it except the, the lodger. There was one step that creaked, and so the nosy landlady know where he'd come down the stairs. Well, I could tell you what I'd have a better version of the first chapter. First, I him stabbing her in the throat with a dagger, but you can't do that. So I took that one back, and I could not read, not in the flesh, because it started out okay. And did you describe the book? A little bit, go ahead. Yeah, this dog finds, when he's digging for truffles, finds bones. But as it proceeds, he makes Inspector Clouseau look like a genius because he just fumbles and bumbles around. So there's no way I'd ever. I'm proud of you for getting that far in the book. Well, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I got 50 pages. <laughs> I'm Susie, and I actually read two of her books. Uh, I read the second one because I like the first one very well. Um, I read The Vault, and at this point, Inspector Wexford is retired, so he's a former detective and he's been pulled back in. And one of the things that was interesting about that is because the relationship between him and the guy who's really in charge is kind of an interesting combination because he's not sure how far he can go and what he can do and all the rest and he has to be a little surreptitious about some of what he does. Um, it was actually pretty twisty turning and pretty good. Um, yeah, I was dark. I mean, somebody buys a house and out in the backyard underneath this metal plate where they think it would have been, I don't know, an oil thing or something. Um, turns out to have bones, dead bodies. So that's the resolution that was there. But I liked it. It was the vault. Uh, the date I had written down is 2011, but I suspect, I don't know if it was that late or not, or if it was re reprinted later. Was it? it was the next to the last of the lecture. Okay. I actually liked it. I thought it was good. So I read The Monster in the Box. And that one was so totally different, I thought, because you already knew you had a serial killer, and he already knew that he killed the first person. And then through the years, he's killing other people, and the detective knows it, but he can't prove it. So it was very different. 
And I can't say as I liked it nearly as well as I liked The Vault. But I suspect The Monster in the Box was much earlier, but I didn't want to pick date. Would you read another one? Would I read another one? Yeah, I would. Okay. <laughs> well, I'm Beverly. I have to read my notes. I read The Babes in the Woods. And I was positive I had read Ruth Randall before. And then I started looking at the titles, and I thought none of these looked familiar. Well, I don't think I had read, read her before. Um, Babes in the Woods was published in 2002. So she was seven, over 70 years old when she wrote this book. I think you know, she was trying to bring some things up to date, but you could tell on the village life and various things uh, that were said that it was an older woman that was, that was doing this. Now, the New York Times called this one of the top five crime books in the year. I liked it, but that's a little bit much. Um, and the other thing is, I did listen to it. Nigel Anthony read it. I am going to be trying to find every book that man <laughs> reads. I fall in love with the audiobooks quite often. I the narrator. Uh, some books may be very good, and then I almost want to throw the tape recorder across the room because I cannot stand the reader. But this person does an excellent job. Uh, the storyline. Mr. and Mrs. Dade arrive back from Paris. They've been there on a trip. Their teenage son, Giles, 15 or 16, and their daughter, Sophie, are missing, as along with their adult babysitter. Who did it? What was done? The main character in this book, to me, was the flood. This whole area was being inundated with rain. There was a flood. The cemetery looks like a seascape with rocks coming up out of the water. They're the gravestones. Um, I've seen things like that. I was fascinated. If you take that character out of this book, I don't know if I would like it as well. Uh, so I will read another one to see if without the flood, if it's as interesting, possibly without a narrator that I fall in love with, will I like the author? I reserve judgment. My name is Joanne, and I have been a Ruth Rendell fan for many years. I think I discovered her about 20 years ago, and I just told everybody, oh, she's just great. You've got to read her. And I was surprised that not everybody agreed with me. <laughs> I like Wexford mysteries, and I like her psychological mysteries. Uh, the, I've read two lately, and one was The Water's Lovely and The St. Zeta Society. The Water's Lovely was about two sisters who were about as different as you could get, and yet they were very close. They loved each other and looked out for each other. They had a mother who was incompetent and had to have a caretaker with her all the time, and they turned the house into, I think, the mother and the, her sister who took care of her lived on the upper floor, and 
the two sisters lived down below. And they had a stepfather earlier on who may have led to the mothers totally losing it. And uh, it turns out that Heather, one of the sisters, killed. He drowned. She held him down. She pulled his legs out from under him when he was in the tub. And uh, that's the mystery that uh, permeates this book. But I liked it, and I think I've, everyone I've read I liked, and I like Barbara Vine, too. So it just appeals to me, I guess. Okay. Okay. Uh, I'm Lois, and years ago I have read most of the uh, Inspector Wexford books. I liked them. Uh, I read some of the standalone ones. Uh, some I liked better than others. I found that I didn't want to read them right before I went to bed at night. They were their nightmare producing some of the scenes that I saw. So this time uh, I did do Dark Corners. I had not read it before. I had not ever done an audiobook before. I found that I think I like it with the audiobook. Maybe the, I didn't like the story very well because you knew where, where it was going. I, I didn't, wasn't. But I, I guess I thought she did a really good job, or maybe it was the, the narrator, uh, of keeping it at a level of tension. I, that, that I find is an interesting aspect. I don't want to do this every day, but I thought you could see how someone who did not commit a crime was basically the circumstances he ended up committing the crime, and I thought that was an interesting part of that. I'm Tram, and I've read every single Wexford uh, novel in order. <laughs> I want to make sure I got them in order. Um, I like them because I like police procedurals. I also like P.D. James, Adam Dalgleish, and those other. I'm more of a golden age mystery reader, so this is a little trifle dark for me. <laughs> so I probably won't be reading anything else that she's written. In fact, I read a couple of the collections, and I thought the Twilight Zone-ish thing was a little dark for me, too. So um, that's all I'm going to be reading <laughs> is the, the Inspector Wexford. Hi, this is Kathy, and I read The Girl Next Door, too. Um, and it is also not much of a mystery because fairly close to the beginning, you know, you see the murder happen, so you know who did it. And it, it happens during World War II, and there's a group of children in the neighborhood, ages 6 to 12, who had discovered a cave. Uh, then you flash forward about 60 years, somebody's done some work, construction work, and they find the skeletal remains of a couple of hands. So some of these, well, no longer children who had, some of them stayed in touch and some of them had not, did get back together and tried to remember what they could remember from 60 years ago. And then you also see sort of their everyday life and, and maybe flashback a little bit on growing up and things like that. And since it wasn't much of a mystery, I didn't really enjoy it that much. Hi, I'm Pat. Uh, this was the first Ruth Rendell book I had read, read, and I think I made a mistake of reading The Vault, which was the one where he had retired, and it was kind of boring <laughs> because he wasn't doing anything. He, you know, he, if you've read that, he, he, he spent so much time wandering around um, trying to think of something to do, and 
I, I, I finished it. It was all right. It wasn't real exciting to me. And I didn't really, I, I like, I need to know the characters. The characters have to become real to me. And the, none of them did. But I'm not going to give up. I'm going to go back and read one that's more of a police procedural and try that. Because I think that's probably more what I like than, you know, first few days of retirement. <laughs> I'm Linda, and uh, like Sharon, I read, or tried to read, from Dune with Death. And thank you for restoring my faith in my opinion of this uh, novelist. I was going to devote Wednesday to finishing the second half, and my granddaughter had a car wreck, totaled her car. She's okay. The lady ran a red light and she T-boned her, but she's okay. And I was glad. I didn't have the next day then to read the rest of it. <laughs> you didn't have to finish it? No, I didn't have to finish it. Every silver lining has a yeah. cloud. <laughs> Part of it could have been, too, that I just finished reading the two Jane Harper novels, The Dry and Force of Nature, I think. And I found those so good that in comparison, what can I say? Um, will I go back and read another Ruth Rendell book? Only if Sharon recommends it. <laughs> uh, my name is Ida. I read um, In Sickness and Health. The characters weren't very well developed, like the others have said. And um, it's was written in the 60s, and you can tell because of the way they patronize the, the main character. Um, but I enjoyed it. Um, I kind of like the, the twist and turns she took with this. It starts out with um, a young lady who is just married, and she's looking for one of her friends who kind of moved away, you know, and uh, wanted to start a new life. She had lost her husband, and so and all of a sudden she's disappeared and she doesn't know what happened to her and then she suspects almost everybody in her family of killing this person and then uh, and it was you know i mean you, you, she would start you know su suspecting one person and then it, things would kind of clear up and then she'd go to another person and then something would happen and she'd go to the next person and, and it ends up that she's not even dead to begin with. <laughs> and so she's actually has gotten what we would call like a spa to lose weight and to get her health back. But, you know, she ha didn't want to tell anybody. Uh, she was kind of embarrassed. She knew she had gained a lot of weight after her husband died. and She was uh, dealing with a, a, a physical health problem and just didn't want anybody else to know and kind of just went off. The doctor knew where she was, and she kept harassing the doctor because she knew he knew something. And then she thought, well, he must have killed her. <laughs> but I enjoyed it, and uh, I'll read another one. Which just brings us back to where we started with me, Scott. Um, I ended up reading two. Um, I wanted to try both styles of Rendell, um, the police procedural and the more psychological suspense one. Um, with the police procedural one, yeah, just like so many of the rest of you, I like to start at the beginning, so I went with From Dune with Death, um, and I did the audiobook version of that. 
And I guess I'm going to be in the minority here. I absolutely loved it, and I'm now a Rendell fan. Uh, I, I, the strength for me in From Dune with Death, to me, was how strongly realistic most of the characters felt. Yes, uh, Wexford and his assistant, Burden, uh, were sort of... Well, she, she refers to Wexford as born at the age of 52. I mean, she, that just, she didn't start with him as a young detective. He's already in his later years, and he's just there. He's, he is what he is. And um, it wasn't so much him as, as regarding the, all the other supporting characters that I found were really well-developed, um, and the audio version of it with the British-accented um, narrator really, really helped in that regard. I'm not sure if I would have necessarily enjoyed it as much reading it as, as listening to it. And the libraries, I mean, for a full-length book, it was a five-disc book, so that's, that's not bad. Most audiobooks I listen to nowadays are nine, ten discs, and that was, uh, I finished that in a week of listening back and forth I'm driving to work in my car. Um, I really enjoyed it. I will definitely read more of that particular series. As I've said before at previous meetings, I am really not into the dark, uh, gruesome stuff. And she has said, the, the author has said, she doesn't do gruesome. She does dark and twisted minds. She likes to get into the psychology, but she doesn't do uh, brutality and, and um, stripped bodies and stuff like that in most of her cases. I mean, it, it's mostly something is found, not you see it happen kind of thing. Um, the one that I read as a standalone, uh, I had asked Rayma, if I had to read one Ruth Rendell book, which one would she recommend? And she said that the one that she liked um, was The Tree of Hands. I would have to say I am still 50 pages from the end of this, and I have pulled a Charlotte and read the ending because I needed to know how it ended. <laughs> this, I, I, I am still not a big fan of darkness and, and twisted psych psyches. However, this is one of the most complex things I have ever read, and I am absolutely thrilled with it. It's got six interweaving plot lines, six different groups of characters, and all of those plot lines converge by the end of the book. Uh, things that you can't see any way that this would be involved with any of the other characters all somehow come back around. It is just stunning how good this book is. It's one of the best books that I've read in the past year. Um, so I guess I'm different from a lot of folks here. Uh, I would highly recommend the two that I have read or listened to. Um, however, I have read a lot of negative commentary on Rendell Online, so not surprising to see that there's some folks here at the group that didn't particularly care for her either. All I ask is keep in mind uh, she's had an extremely successful career and is considered a very influential influential writer in the, the, the field of uh, mystery and, and thriller um, suspense fiction. So with that, I think we'll go ahead and wrap up our discussion of Rendell and end our um, recording. Thank you for participating. Uh, next time we'll do a, an audio recording. We'll probably not be uh, for several months until we do another situation where everybody's reading something differently again. So thank you. Thank you.